Great. Well, it's a privilege to be with you this morning, and thank you, Abina and the team, for the amazing worship. No better place to come up from than that. Um, this is a first for me, uh, speaking outside our local church, Hope Church. And I told my lovely friends, Hope Women, who are here with me, that if I was going to step out and do this, then they were definitely coming with me. And so we're kind of all in this together. Um, I want to give you a glimpse into my world just before um, we start. I've got a photo of my amazing family who I am so grateful to God for and sadly this picture is not taken in my garden and that is not my house in the background but here we are and we find ourselves on a seesaw as you do and so I'm married to Michael he's just kind of in the background there and we've been married for 22 years nearly and he's one of our elders at Hope Church and we've got three incredible children Emily, Ella and Ben Emily and Ella, they're twins, and they're here with us today, which is really nice for me. Um, Emily's already left home. She's studying in Newcastle, um, studying fashion communication at Northumbria University. Um, And Ella is leaving in July to go and study at Hillsong College in Sydney, Australia. So, you know, I'm trying to be composed and brave about this event because when Emily left, she was only two hours away and I was a mess. So prayers would be kind of appreciated. When I was pregnant with the girls, um, we were told that from an early scan that one of them was not going to survive the pregnancy, that one was literally half the size of the other. And we just prayed life for whichever girl that was, we'll never know. And the result was a pregnancy that went to three days short of 40 weeks, possibly my biggest achievement in life. And I have two, had two healthy babies weighing £6.12 and £7.04, so... I was big. I mean, that was really an understatement. And we have Ben. Ben is 15 years old. He's um, currently in fourth year at high school. He is my baby. He'll always be my baby. He does not like that, but he does secretly. And he's currently trying to persuade us at the moment to buy him a dog in preparation for, his, for him being the only child left at home. I don't know if that's a compliment to the girls, but anyway, I'm not going to give in because we already have a Tiggy, and uh, Tiggy is our cat. Isn't she just gorgeous? But don't be fooled, she's not a Christian, sadly. She, um, she looks very angelic, but after the third stroke, she is all claws, all teeth, and she launches a vicious, relentless attack into whichever human limb is before her. And sadly, many from our churches, from our church, sorry, bear the scars of Tiggy. Is that true, Robin? And her reputation is not good. I want to say thank you to Anne for inviting us. We only met, as she said, last September, as I started the Uh, academy training here which uh, King's host so fantastically and I'm loving the course I'm loving making new friendships within King's and my life has definitely grown because of it and as I kind of see this relationship between Hope Church and King's Church develop I kind of feel like God has set us up there's some kind of divine setup for the glory of his kingdom, for the reaching of this nation. And I'm really excited to see what God will do as together, as churches together, we enlarge the place of our borders and stretch our tent pegs wide, if you like. And because of this connection, here I am, I find myself standing before you on a Saturday morning. I do not take the responsibility of this lightly. I know 
how precious your time is and what it is to give up a Saturday. So for the past few weeks, I've been seeking God on what to bring. I've been pouring over scripture. I've been scribbling random notes and thoughts all over the house because I want to bring something of value to you today. And my prayer for us in, in this day, including myself, is that we would just address some things in our lives, that we would allow ourselves to be real and to be honest. And I kind of have this sense that God wants to bring some things to our attention so that we would leave today further on with God than when we arrived. And, you know, we want to do this because we've been called. You have been called to make a difference. You have been called to take ground for the kingdom of God in the capacity that he has given you. And I don't know how that sits with you, but I really want my life to make a difference. I want to be fully surrendered to him, living my life with God first, so that I can be all that he has called me to be and live a life that points others to him and makes him famous. Is that good? That's what we want. And you know, maybe you're sitting here and you don't know God. You don't know what it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's okay. It's not a difficult step to take to be found in him and to know Jesus as your savior. And I want to say to you today that God is not far from you. And today is as much for you as it is for anybody else here. So today, as I pondered what to bring, I decided that I wanted to share a few thoughts into what over the years has become my favorite verse. And just weave into that an illustration from the story of Gideon um, with particular reference to fear and to idols. And I just love the worship set we've had because every song seemed to kind of resonate with the theme. So my favorite verse is Habakkuk 3.19. And I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified Version because I just feel it brings so much more depth and insight. And it says this, The Lord God is my strength, my personal bravery, and my invincible army. He makes my feet like hind's feet able to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. Now, I will never tire of this verse. It's a reminder to me of everything God offers us should we choose to walk in it. Because, you know, you do have a choice. You can opt out of this if you wish. It's a wake-up verse to step out of apathy And realize that we are in a battle if we bear the name Christian. And in that battle, you must remember that anything our enemy throws at us, it's no match for Jesus Christ, who is the name above every name. And this verse has been an anchor to my soul personally in the hardest situations of my life. When I was in my early 20s, living with a horrible tension of dating a non-Christian for four years... And coming to a crossroads where engagement was on the horizon. And I just knew deep in my heart that I could not go through with it. And I had to make a painful choice to put God first over a guy. And you know, I did not feel the joy in doing that. I was not skipping down the street. It was a hard thing. And I had to wear sunglasses in the middle of a very grey winter. Because my eyes were so swollen from the tears that I'd cried. But... The Lord is my strength, my personal bravery. 
And this verse has held me as a young adult when my dad walked away from our family. And with the decision he made, our family and the generation to follow was forever changed. But the Lord is my strength. It's held me through the the darkest, longest nights when sleep evaded me as our daughters were painfully bullied in high school. But he is our invincible army. I will not stand still in terror. And this verse took our eyes off ourselves when, and our limitations when we set out to church plant in the Scottish borders, where repeatedly we were told it won't work. Vibrant, relevant church is for the city. But he is our invincible army, causing us to make spiritual progress. And if God says it, then he will build it. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm sure that you would have similar stories of hope where you've taken God at his word and he's carried you through the storm, through those high places. Or maybe this concept is kind of new new to you. You've never let go so that God can take control. And I want to say to you that whoever you are, whatever situation you have come from, whatever life experiences you find yourself in, God is longing to be your strength. He wants to be your personal bravery and your invincible army so that he can cause you not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress on everything that life brings your way. I'm going to tell you a story now. Okay. About 12 years ago, we as a family were on holiday in Cornwall. And we soon realized that our property had some dark influence within it. We didn't think much about it. We just got on with our holiday. And one evening I was sitting in our bedroom and before me was the open door and the stairs. And and some movement just caught my attention. And I looked up and on the stairs I saw a figure, a lady, dressed in Victorian-like clothes. She walked slowly up the stairs and then I watched her walk through the wall at the top of the hallway. And my immediate thought was that it was my sister because she was staying with us downstairs. But as my brain caught her up, I kind of realized, well, she definitely doesn't wear clothes like that. If you know my sister, that's just not going to happen. And she definitely does not walk through walls. And I kind of felt a bit of disbelief with my eyes playing tricks on me, but I knew, I knew that I knew what I'd seen. And I I turned to Michael and I was like, what's he going to think of me saying this? And I kind of said to him, you know, you're not going to believe this, but I just think I've seen a ghost or a demon, whatever you want to call it. And he just looked at me and he said, yep, totally believe you. I know, I've known all week that this house has got some real dark influence within it. We had one more night to stay there. And if you had told me that this was going to happen, my response to our family would have been, right everyone, drop everything, pack your bags, we are leaving now, and I would have led them out of that house, running in terror like a crazy person. But do you know what? It is not our mandate to run around in terror. God never asked us to do that. Darkness does not chase us out. But we, through the authority we have in Christ, push back and chase out darkness. And we went to bed that night quite peaceful, and we slept until in the middle of the night, 
Our son, Ben, who was four years old at the time, he was sharing our room. He became delirious in his sleep. He was making noises of trying to speak, but no words were formed. He was boiling hot. He was totally restless, and we could not wake him. We took him into bed with us, and in that moment, thick darkness descended on our room. It was like a heavy blanket of evil being thrown on top of us. It was so thick that we literally felt we could not breathe. And the natural moonlight that had peeked through the the window all week was suddenly gone. And our environment was as black and as heavy as you can imagine. We said one word, just one word. We said the name of Jesus, loud and clear. And as we spoke that name into the atmosphere, everything changed. In that second, darkness fled. The natural moonlight returned, the atmosphere was light, and Ben reverted back to a peaceful sleep as if nothing had happened, and the presence of God flooded the room. Now that experience taught me something that I will never forget, that the name of Jesus really works. And at his name, demons must flee. And we actually need never fear anything that comes against us in this life. Because the roar of Satan is far worse than his actual power if, when, you counter that with the authority that you have in Jesus. And this Jesus, he's saying to you today, I want to be your strength, your army, your bravery. Actually, when you stop and think about that, it's life-changing. The almighty God would offer that to us. When you get that bad report, when you get that diagnosis, when life isn't quite turning out how you thought it was going to. You know, Jesus never said that hard times would not come our way. In fact, Jesus says the opposite. He says, if you bear my name, you're going to have many trials. And by the way, just to add to that, the world's going to hate you too, because it hated me first. But it's in those things he wants you to depend on him. And as we depend on him, this verse says in Habakkuk that we're going to navigate life a little bit differently. Our life is going to reflect that of a deer. Okay, it's speaking spiritually. You're not going to grow, is it hooves that deers have? We were having this conversation in the car coming up, um, whatever they have. We're not going to grow deer's feet, so don't, don't panic about that. But it's spiritually speaking. And the hind, it, says, it calls it hind in this verse, it's a female which I thought was really interesting for today. A female red deer. And this is what I found out about her as I googled the red deer. Every motion of the hind is followed through with single focus consistency. They run in a lively manner with great firmness and stability. They're steadfast and immovable, making it the most sure-footed of all mountain animals. So nothing is going to be knocking these animals off course. And I want you now to spiritually translate that description of the hind into your life. Do you want to be a spiritual hind? Do you want to be steadfast, immovable in God, sure-footed, refusing to stand still in terror, but making progress in God because of who he is? The devil is not getting the high ground. I am walking out my high places with God, and Satan is in his place under my feet. 
And we see examples of people's high places all the way through the Bible. You know, we could go on forever about them. Joseph, locked up unjustly in prison. Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, stepping into that fiery furnace. Esther, as she spoke uninvited before the king. Moses, as he had that great responsibility of leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Many, many accounts of God being Habakkuk 3.19. But these people who experienced this all had one thing in common. They allowed God to be God and to do what only he could do. It's called trust. It's called taking God seriously and actually believing what he says is true. You know, this verse is not some kind of fairy tale that if we try really, really hard to be a good Christian, then we might be okay and we might survive our challenges and just crawl into heaven. This is the word of God. It is sharper than any two-edged sword and it can take down in a moment what you've been trying in your own strength for years maybe to sort out. The things that come against you, yes, They might be bigger than you, but they are simply no match for your father, the king of kings. Will you trust him with whatever your thing is? Will you choose to lay down your way of thinking, your control, and hand it all over to him? Because God needs you to participate with him. You know, he will never push himself on you, but he waits until you come to that place which says, I can't do this anymore. God, I'm nothing. But God, you are everything. And I want to say, and I don't say this glibly, but I want to say that sometimes our hardest times can actually turn out to become one of our best times. Not that we would want to relive it, but the thing is, in the hard time, our attention is turned fully to God. And it really gives him opportunity to do something miraculous within us. And with this in mind, I'm going to pull out some examples from the story of Gideon. We don't have time, obviously, to read the full account. And I'd encourage you to do that, though, at home over the next few days, just to to get the full picture. So I'm going to set the context. We're in Judges chapter 6. And the people of Israel are, are settling into the promised land. But despite all that God has done for them, rescuing them from the Egyptians, the countless miracles, they keep departing from God and doing their own thing. And the consequence of their unfaithfulness to God we find in the opening verse of Judges 6. And it says this, But the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. You see, God needed to get their attention, and he did it by allowing this enemy to rise up against them. Not because he was annoyed, but because he loved them. It all comes down to God's love and God's heart for you. And he longed for them to call on his name, not on the name of false gods and the idols of the day, but his name, because they were his people. And what followed was years and years of oppression and destruction in every form from the Midianites. They were so vast, this enemy, that they could not even be counted. And as their enemy rob and steal and intimidate them, they can no longer function as a group of people. And in verse 6, the Israelites cry out to God because there's no other hope for them. 
And in response to their cries, God sends a prophet in verse 8. And the prophet reminds them that God has delivered them already out of Egypt. And he reminds them that he had instructed them not to fear these different people groups like the Midianites who have risen up against them. But you, he says, you have not obeyed my voice. Choices and consequence. It's the story of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament. They obey God, things go well. They wander from him and disobey him, life falls apart. It's the same with us. We make choices and those choices bring consequence to our life, good or bad, helpful or unhelpful. And dependent on the source of our choice, did I make that choice living for myself or did I make that choice because I'm living for God? will be the result of if you have a good consequence or a not-so-good one. The Israelites, we can see they're in a bad way. And Gideon enters the story. Gideon is hiding. Gideon is fearful. He's in the wine press. He's beating wheat. And he's hiding himself and the wheat from the Midianites. And it would have been the perfect time to apply the principles of Habakkuk 3.19. The Lord God is my strength my bravery, my army. He makes my feet like hinds feet, able to walk, not to stand still in terror in this winepress, but to make spiritual progress upon these Midianites. And God has a conversation with Gideon through the angel of the Lord who just sits casually under the tree. And Judges 6.12, here's this conversation. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of fearless courage. And this statement is a prophetic statement announced to Gideon. Gideon is not, at this current time, a mighty man. Yet he is, because God is telling him what he sees. The potential that God has placed in his life to accomplish all that God created him for. And in this moment, God is waking him up spiritually to see things through a God perspective. And God is calling forth what is already in him, but it's lying dormant. And he says, wake up, Gideon. Wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead. I have got a calling on your life that is so massive that people in 2016 are still going to be talking about it. But how about you? Where is God trying to get your attention? What area in your life is he saying, I want to be your strength, your bravery, your army? Where is he saying, I am calling you to make spiritual progress in this thing that is causing you trouble, causing you suffering? Because actually it is your responsibility to rise up in me and face this thing. I've written the story of your life. I saw this challenge coming your way. It is no surprise to me. And that is why I've equipped you with everything you need to live out Habakkuk 3.19. But will you take it or will you shrink back? Did Gideon accept what God was saying? What he was calling him into? Not at first. Firstly, he questions God in verse 13. He's like, God, I think you're wrong. I think you've got the wrong person. If you're here with us, then why are we living in a disaster. 
And I love how God doesn't defend himself. He doesn't need to justify himself. He's not answerable to man. He never will be. And he's told them already in verse 10 why they're living this disaster. But he just lets Gideon get some stuff off his chest. And God repeats what he's just said. He says, go in this your might and you will save Israel from the hand of Midian. But Gideon, he just can't get it. He sees himself still through his eyes. He reminds God who Gideon really is, that he's the least, the poorest. He's the insignificant one, the intimidated one. And his response that day is led by fear and not faith. Fear. Such a small word, four letters, yet with massive implications. Do you know fear? Because God would invite you today, through these words in Habakkuk, to let go of fear. Because fear is a terrible thing. Fear will grip your heart. It will distract you, cripple and paralyze you. Fear will torment you in the middle of the night. And it will limit and contain you. And a person who allows fear to set up camp in their lives will never reach sadly, their full potential in God. If Gideon had continued to fear, he was not going to be able to lead the Israelites against the Midianites. If we allow fear to have a voice within us, we will settle for less. We will shrink back and live a life of less than. And I know that this world can be a frightening place. You know, we only need to watch the news and fear levels across the world, increase. But you know, God gets this. He knew this. He knew that we would struggle with fear. And therefore, in the Bible, he gently reminds us again and again, do not fear. Do not fear. Do not be anxious about anything. And he doesn't say this to make us feel better. You know, give us a pat on the head and off we go. He says it because we have no reason to fear. Because our God is victorious. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God breathes his life into you. God never breathes fear. Fear comes from our enemy, and he longs for you to let fear settle in your heart. He wants you to be familiar with fear and for fear to become a stronghold in your life. But there is no freedom in a fear-filled life. It's quite simply a trap from your enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So do not make friends with fear. And you're going to have to be quite determined with yourself about this. Because when those feelings of fear and dread come knocking on your door, as they will, because we're human, you take that. Take it as an opportunity to address that fear head on and speak God's word into it. Verses like this, other verses, God's truth. It's called trusting God. Speaking to a fear-filled heart. And you watch that fear that was up here, you watch it shrink in the light of Almighty God. Psalm 23, it's a psalm of trust. We all know it. The Lord is my shepherd. He's got me. Verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you, God, are right beside me. 
And it's talking about David walking through this dark valley, which is perceived as a place of fear. But David has not collapsed. He is moving. He is going forward. It might not be quickly, but he's going in the right direction with eyes on God. He's not standing still in terror. Because if we stand still in terror, we're going to become an easy target for our enemy. I became an easy target when a few years ago on a forest walk, I stumbled into a ditch and looked down and the ground was moving and I realized that I'd fallen into a wasp's nest. Fortunately, it was October time and they were not crazy wasps, but they were still wasps. The wasp started to move up my legs and sting me. I did nothing. How ridiculous. I did nothing. I looked down at them and thought, I'm in a wasp's nest. And I froze. And I stood there in terror. And the wasps held me captive until someone had to come behind me and forcibly push me out of there. And so it is with us spiritually. If we give way to fear, we are an easy target for our enemy because our spiritual defenses are down. God did not give us in our mandate an instruction to stand still in terror and live in fear. And our spiritual defenses are down because we're doing something that God has not asked us to do. But it's about choosing to take God's hand, to trust him, and to allow yourself to be led. You know, it's not what you think, actually. It's not how you think the situation should be resolved. But it's walking, trusting, surrendered, key word there, making spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, and responsibility. And Gideon that day was like, God, I actually, I don't want to hear this. This is not me. You've got the story wrong. He was living in a place called fear. And gently, as we read this account, God moves him into a place of faith and trust that allows the true Gideon to emerge, that allows the true story to be told. And this is exactly what God wants to do with us so that your true calling and your true potential can emerge. We're not going to let that be robbed by something like fear. And to live this verse as well as a, re a reality, as well as dealing with fear, we're going to have to clear some ground in our lives. Verse 25, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take your father's bull and pull down the altar of Baal and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of that stronghold. Baal was an idol. We're not sure if you pronounce it like that. I thought it was Baal, but we had a conversation and apparently it's Baal. I checked it on YouTube. YouTube said it was Baal. So, Baal was an idol. He was a false god. And this object had to be removed from the community because there is never room to follow God and have the clutter of false gods within that same relationship. The idol of the 21st century is anything that takes God's place in your life. You think about this thing more than God. You give your time to this thing more than God. And you actually place your hope and your security in this idol. Timothy Keller describes a modern-day idol as this. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity, then it is an idol. Is there an idol in your life today? An idol that must be pulled down? 
Don't answer it too quickly, you know. We're not talking about golden statues here. It could be money. I feel secure. I feel safe when my bank account is healthy. And I find myself thinking about money a lot. An idol could be a relationship. A person that we hold in higher regard than God, giving more time to them than God. It might be food. You know, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But look at all the food channels, the food magazines, calling us to perfect our craft. And it becomes an obsession to taste and create the best food, to indulge our self-obsessed selves. It might be clothes, shopping, buying more stuff we don't need. It might be the car, the house, the job, the holiday, our education. And it might be something so simple as a screen that sucks the life out of us. Evenings go by and we sit there, hours of watching TV, hours on social media, hours of denying precious time with God, and our Habakkuk 3 reality is traded for a screen. But we just need to remember actually our calling from God to love him first with all our heart, mind, and strength then we would get our priorities in the right order. And all these things can be enjoyed in balance. And we can walk free from that restricting chain that an idol can cause, that can look so attractive, but they're really there to trap us and to distract us from our purpose. God referred to the idol of Baal as a stronghold. And he said to Gideon, build an altar to me on top of it. You see, if you have a stronghold... We must repent, and we must renounce it, and we must replace it with the truth of God's word on top of it, under it, and within it, so that stronghold can simply be no more. And a stronghold is not a complicated thing. It's simply an area in your life where Satan has gained a stronghold on you. You've entertained fear too long. It feels like it's part of you. You know, I've always been a fearful person, and I'll always be a fearful person. No, it's become a stronghold. You've allowed idols to trespass on your life for too long. You can't live without them. You've got kind of an addiction to that thing. But yet, I'm speaking about fear and idols, but it could be an endless list of other things. Insecurity, jealousy, pride. The list would be endless. And I just want to remind you at this point that God is so patient. He's so patient with us. We see it with Gideon when you read that whole account and how he lays the fleece out and he does it again and again. And he's just double checking. He's double checking that he's heard God right. And God isn't angry. God's like, yeah, okay, we'll do it again. It's fine, you know. Um, And I love that about God, that God is so patient with us and his heart is for you because he wants you to get it. He wants you to be free of anything that would limit you. And this message actually today is about God's incredible love for you. It's immeasurable. And finally, in chapter 7, this army that Gideon has gathered is ready at last to take down this enemy. But God announces to Gideon that the army's too big. And you can just imagine for Gideon, he's worked so hard on gathering these men. And Gideon must be like, God, are you joking me? But with the size of Gideon's army, a military success would have been claimed rather than a God miracle. 
And you know, God will not give his glory to another. It was always about God, and it will always be about God. It was never about Gideon, and it's never about us. But it's about us making God famous so that he gets the glory. And from 22,000 men under God's instruction, that army is reduced to a mere 300 men. It's a joke. It's laughable in the eyes of men. It's an impossibility. But God is my invincible army. He is my personal bravery. And he works in the business of the impossible. And if you read the account of the battle in Judges 7, verse 20 onwards, you know, how they call it a battle, I'm not sure, because Gideon's army didn't actually do very much. They blew some trumpets, broke some jugs, held a torch, and blew the trumpets again, and stood in a circle. And that was pretty much it. It was crazy. But it could only have been God because the Midianites fled. You see, this is the hard time for Gideon that has now become his best time. But the key thing that the army did do is this. They obeyed instruction. They walked out in faith. And because of that, God shows up and does what only he can do. Not one of Gideon's army lost their life that day. How incredible is that? Remember the beginning of Judges 6, what a force these Midianites were. Years and years of warfare against them, and it ends like this. You see, if God asks you to do something, then as you do it, he has your back. And in the account of Gideon, the enemy is put in his place, and God's name is lifted high above every fear, every idol, every stronghold, and this land has peace for 40 years. The Lord God is my strength, my personal bravery, my invincible army. He makes my feet like hinds feet, able to walk, not to stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, and responsibility. Will you allow God to be this for you? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It wasn't for fear. It wasn't for idols. It wasn't for strongholds, but it was for freedom. And how did Christ set us free? By coming to earth with a rescue plan. Freedom was born in the cry of a baby. And freedom was sealed when Jesus hung on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And he saw you that day. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, Jesus saw you. He saw your struggle. He saw your disappointment. He saw that illness. He saw that pain. And on the cross, he took it upon himself. And with hands stretched out, in his action, he spoke, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, he wants to take you to the heights of his love and to the heights of his purpose. But if you're going to come up higher, then you're going to have to leave some things behind and surrender all to Jesus. We're going to have a response time. The band are going to come up and we're going to worship. And I just want to finish with this thought for you. I want to set the context of this verse in Habakkuk. Israel, again, was in a mess. This isn't Gideon now. We're back in Habakkuk. Prior to the verse we've looked at, verse 19, 
Prior to that, in verse 17, it says that the land was in a state of destruction. There was no fruit. There was no crops. The cattle were dead. And verse 18 follows that statement saying, yet, yet will I rejoice in God. Despite what's going on, despite what situation or circumstance you find yourself in, yet will you rejoice in God? Will you respond to his heart? Will you choose today to lay some things down? And you can do that here and now privately as we worship if you want to. Or you might want to come forward and you might want to have someone stand with you in prayer. You know, we've got a prayer ministry team available here today to facilitate that for you. So come, just as we worship, and the team would just love to pray for you and with you. Come on, today is the day to step out of your wine press. Let's not choose to hide in there, but let's start truly living. You're not going to do it on your own, but Jesus is just beckoning you on. He's there to guide you up into those high places and give you a whole new perspective on life. Will you take his hand? Will you do it?